Drive to the pass. Hold it. Defense. Number 33. Five-yard penalty. Automatic. First down. Greetings and welcome to the Roger Goodgrove's officiating podcast. I'm Sukdeep Puni and we have the main man, Roger Withers. How are you doing today, Roger? I'm very good, thank you. How's the uh, progress with the with the house stuff going? I know our listeners are probably <laughs> intrigued to know what's I going on. I think it on. would be fair to say that I am fourth in inches. Um, exchanged wow. last week, due to complete tomorrow. So all being well. All being well. Uh, fingers crossed for you there, Roger. Thanks. I know it's uh, it's been a stressful time and obviously with everything going on now uh, with the uh, lockdown now on Thursday, I know it's uh, not the easiest time to be, you know, sort of worrying about things Indeed, like this. Indeed, yeah. But we're going to sort of go through uh, an interesting week here. So week eight of, um, it was week eight, isn't it? Yeah, week eight of the yep. uh, um, weekend's games. Lots to talk <laughs> about this week. Yeah compared to what we've had in previous weeks. I think we've had, I don't think I've seen so many requests ever for, you know, information. So um, we're going to first of all talk through um, some ejections that took place in in the game. So we've had, um, we've had a couple of incidences, one for um, Javon Wims with the Bears, which I'm sure many of you have seen. And then we're going to talk about another incident between the Ravens and the Steelers. So do you want to talk us through the yeah. the initial one with Javon yeah, this Wims? was the pay-per-view event, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Chisora, uh, the Chisora fight, yeah. wasn't it? It was an undercard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Interesting sequence of plays. Uh, from an officiating point of view, I, I think we should just cover it briefly, which is we talked at the beginning of the season about what would happen with the referees and getting involved between players. Um, so obviously we've got a COVID time, we've got masked up, social distancing, etc. And I did say that when push came to the shove, literally, then that I think the referees' instincts would take over. And that's exactly what you saw in this example. Um, so you had basically at the end of the play, a player unprovoked from that player, but you know, responding to a previous incident that happened in the game, basically took a swing at the helmet of the other player and then had another go because the, the player just stood there in shock and look around at the referee to say, are you going to flag this? And quite rightly yeah, it was. And then, of course, all hell broke loose because he decided that he was going to continue to try and hit him and take his helmet off. Um, and you saw the referees dive in, basically dragging players away. Um, the referee was taking a coach who'd come in off the sideline back. Um, yeah. So, you know, in terms of the officiating, you try as much as possible to stop the players getting into that circumstance. Let's start with that. Um, game control is important. If it gets to the point the players are fighting, if you can get and stop them, then obviously that's a good thing. If you get into a situation like that, sometimes you just can't do anything to stop them. You've got no equipment on. They're all there with helmets, pads and the like going at it. They're bigger, stronger, etc. You know, they're, they, if they want yeah. to continue fighting and, and your your stripy voice and your big whistle doesn't make any difference to them, then 
to some degree, you have to just let them get on with it. You take a step back and you start <laughs> taking numbers. Um, and and the, the important thing is to get the instigator. Always get the instigator. I mean, it's, it's all well and good having offsetting fouls, um, you know, if two people are involved in a, an altercation. But, it, you know, usually yeah. something has triggered that. And if you can get the reason that it was triggered, that's more likely to calm it down rather than just have offsetting penalties. But in this example, yeah. Um, yeah, there was nothing that was going to ever stop that player having a go, I think. <laughs> no. <laughs> It was uh, it was hilarious, and obviously we know now that there's been a two game ban. But a lot of uh, controversy and thoughts about this from you know a lot of people on social media. But what, if any, impact do the officials have in these bans? Is it something that they would maybe get involved in, or is it a case that they would have no say in in this sort of situation whatsoever? Okay, so let's take it from the field. So. On the field, you can be ejected straight away. You obviously then miss the remainder of that game. It then is no longer an official's control what happens next. Um, it, it's actually interesting. There's a, a person called John Runyon who heads up the department um, for discipline and rules. And um, it's quite ironic, really, because John Runyon, for those with a, a longer memory, um, he was a player back in the... Um, uh, uh, Tennessee um, Titans, Houston Oilers, and, and he played for the Eagles. And then he became a congressman, um, one of you know three or four people who've gone on to from being an NFL player to being uh, in in Parliament over there. Um, and then when he left there, then he got the job um, running up the Department for Discipline. The, the ironic thing of this is it's very much a poacher turned gamekeeper because running in his day, I mean there was a poll, I think it was Sports Illustrated, he was ranked as a second on a list of the dirtiest players in the NFL. Wow. <laughs> uh, Sean Merriman said about him, that he said he was one of the dirtiest players I've ever been against in my whole entire life. He was really good at being dirty. So it's quite ironic that he's yeah. in charge of um, setting the discipline and um, deciding how many games people should miss. Um, what they'll take into account is prior contact. So if you remember last year in the, the, the Brown Steelers game when we had the um, incident where the helmet thrown at or swung at another player, um, because of previous history, that player got a very severe ban. Um, this player hasn't had such a, uh, such a history and therefore he, um, he only got a couple of games, which he can appeal and he has until Thursday to get that appeal in. They make decisions quickly on these. They, they will let them know usually Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. And the reason for that is so that teams can scheme for the following week, knowing that player is likely to be in or out. Um, so they make a quick decision about um, the suspension, if there's going to be one, and then the players have until Thursday to appeal that if necessary. I, I don't think he'll win that. <laughs> No, I don't think it would. Um, is there any chance of it getting extended? Uh, no, I don't believe so. I, I, I'm not fully no. familiar with the way the process works, not being involved in it. But um, my, my knowledge of it will be that's that's going to be going down rather than going up if if on appeal. Sure. Um, I don't know what, to be honest, I don't know what extenuating circumstances you could throw in that would, uh, would justify why yeah. it might go down. So I, I can't see it changing. Exactly, but absolutely. <laughs> it was amazing just watching that live. It was like it's one of the games that I was uh, in well, that I'm in charge of this week. So you know, in terms of watching, 
So uh, I'm thankful to have got that <laughs> game, to be honest, just based on this. I yeah, talk about it was. It, I mean, it had so many incidents, um, didn't it? Yeah, that most definitely was a great game, to be honest. Um, the next incident, obviously, in terms of the ejections, it, you know, the Ravens and the Steelers, we know, they have a history of, uh, shall we say, yeah, uh, a bit of argy-bargy <laughs> and, uh, yeah, a bit, a bit of friendly rivalry. Um, but then, obviously, it, it went a bit too far this week with uh, Matthew Judon. So do you want to talk us through what happened with his ejection and the reasoning? Sort of yeah, um, we've talked about it before in a previous week um, when there was contact yeah. against an official. Um, basically, in American football, don't touch the officials. That's, that's the golden rule, and they all know that. So obviously, in the heat of the argument, sometimes they can be swinging arms around trying to get away from somebody or, you know, trying to get at somebody and accidentally hit an official. Some of that will go by the wayside. Um, in this particular example, we had official directly in front of the player, um, basically trying to stop him getting into continuing action that was going on on the sideline. There had already been a penalty flag thrown on the play. There was two players fighting on the sideline after uh, the end of the play. And um, then the official was standing in front of the player and the player was basically swung his arms around, hit the official as part of the, the swing. Um, the referee announced it as intentionally hitting. Um, it, it doesn't matter whether it's intentional or not. Um, it's not judging intent. You're just not allowed to touch the officials. Um, but in this example, yeah. he, he could clearly see that he was in front of him. Um, so you can't really um, sort of say, well, you know, I didn't see the referee there. You know, he was pulling me off a pile and I didn't realise it wasn't another player. You know, he was face up to him. So there was no excuse. Yeah. So there you have it. Um, that one a bit more yeah. straightforward. Like you said, we've had a similar example there before. And, and this one was a lot worse than the yeah, one it was. we the, the one we about talked previously. about previously yeah. was um, a player lowering his helmet to, to illustrate to the referee what had happened in the yeah. play, but lowered his helmet yeah, into his stomach exactly. to illustrate, which you know, stupid, but you know, more understandable yeah. uh, in a way. Um, but this one was just rage, red mist descended. Exactly. We're moving away from ejections now. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Steelers and the Ravens, um, the actual action on the field. Um, so this was the final play between the Steelers and the Ravens. So the Ravens are in, obviously, you know, in the Steelers' half. A touchdown wins the game uh, for the Ravens. So Lamar throws, I believe, to Willie Sneed. The pass is broken up by uh, the Steelers' defence. But whilst that is happening, Minter Fitzpatrick... Um, in my opinion, nails Willie Sneed, um, and nothing is sort of given. And, and what's your opinion on this one, Roger? Okay, I mean, so the first thing first, you can look at what is allowed contact and what isn't allowed contact. So it's in the it's in the area of defensive pass interference um, that would be used. That's one, and that is something that would contact of the player that would significantly hinder their ability to catch the ball. So that would be the first one. The second one then is the Mm -hmm. receiver who's trying to catch the ball is a defenseless player. And as a defenseless player, you get certain other um, protections, head and neck contact particularly, or uh, unnecessary roughness, late hit type contact um, will be protected as well. In this particular example, we have two defenders going up to defend the ball. And the players going up high, similar level to um, the receiver, and he's playing the ball. So whilst there was some contact helmet to helmet, both players, um, they both have an equal right to the ball. 
Now, it's not the defender that has to give way. If he's playing the ball and he was trying to catch that ball, he's looking at the ball. He's not looking at playing the, the, the receiver. And he nearly caught the ball. As it happened, as, as soon as he touched the ball, he also yeah. ended up clashing with the player. What made this particularly look bad was that there was another defender coming in low and basically trying to tackle the player that would have caught the ball. And he doesn't hit yeah. him early, which would be the defensive pass interference. He hits him as the contact with the ball has happened already. So then just defending what yeah. would be the question about whether he caught it or not and trying to actually stop him catching it. Um, but he hits him low. The yeah. other player is coming from the opposite direction and hits him high whilst he's going for the ball. So obviously that takes the player. It looks big. Um, and that's why many people, I think, looked at that and thought, surely that should be a foul. But nobody was doing anything illegal. And that's the difference. They weren't. They were incidental contact to the head as they were both playing the ball. That's fair enough, Roger. That's a good explanation. And yeah, um, like it just goes to show, you know, what we can see uh, compared to what an official can see. You know how you sort of deconstruct all that. So um, no, that's 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 ex excellent, Roger. Um, the next play we're going to talk about is from the um, NFC East rivalry game between the Eagles and the Cowboys. So we're in the fourth quarter. Dallas are, uh, sorry, Eagles are 15-9 up and it's 5.34 on the clock in the fourth quarter. Uh, Danucci, the quarterback, who's filling in for Dalton, who's filling in for Dak Prescott <laughs> and who's filling in for who knows, Tony Romo, who's filling in for Troy Aikman. And you get it. Um, so <laughs> Danucci basically fumbles the ball and the ball sort of bobbles everywhere. Um, now, Rodney McLeod at the end of the play runs in for the defensive touchdown. However, um, during the play, um, what we're trying to see is did one of the other players um, establish control of the ball and were they sort of touched by contact? And there's also a question mark about whether one of the actual players um, were offside prior to the snap being played as well. So a couple of instances. Um, yeah. So Cowboys fans are not happy one. about this because obviously twofold. One, they thought there should have been an offside at the beginning and therefore that play um, would have been a five-hour penalty and a, a replay the down um, for the Cowboys. Um, and then obviously what happens afterwards after the fumble and whether or not uh, Eagles should have actually had a chance to recover that and then go in for the score. Um, so let's take the first one. So the offside or neutral zone infraction, there are a variety of different ways that it's described in the NFL, which is slightly different to college. Perhaps when we've got less to cover, we'll, we'll go into the various differences and why. But anyway, so yeah. there is a player who comes up to the line and stops at the line just about. Um, very fractionally over if you really freeze frame, um, but not enough to call an offside on that play. Um, if you freeze frame it, yes, he's fractionally over the ball at that point, but he hasn't caused anybody to move and he doesn't really make any difference on the actual play because he's slow to get to the play as a result of stopping and then having to start again. There's no real advantage um, created there. And it is one of those that's so marginal, you shouldn't be calling it they should be clear and obvious in terms of being called on the field. So ignoring that, put it to one side. So what happens then is obviously we have a fumble, the ball goes to ground, and it looks like one of the Eagles players has dived on it and got control of the ball. Yeah. And then briefly after that, the ball pops loose again. 
recovered by the eagles right. they run the, down the field so the question mark becomes when you look at this in 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 real time and this is a, a dilemma that i think football fans have to face which is we we constantly go on at the refs let it play out if you're not sure what's happened okay because if you blow your whistle to say yes he was down you remove the chance that that long scoring play happens um so yeah. we talk to the referees and we actually say you know we please you know let this play out and and, and we'll fix it in replay if there's an obvious error well the consequence of this is that obviously the call on the field is that he wasn't down and you remember all the time in replay replay is trying to prove clear and obvious that the contrary happened so if the referee lets it right. play out and thinks, well, it was marginal, he may not have had control of that ball, I'll let it go and let replay determine whether he did or didn't, that's the ruling on the field, and that's what needs to be overturned with clear and obvious evidence to the contrary. Now, do I think the Eagles player was down and had the ball long enough in his control before the ball popped loose again? Yes, I think he was. Can I see that potentially... Thanks. Replay could say, is it clear and obvious that he had control? Because remember, the, the process to recover a ball is very similar to a catch process. It's not just having your hands on the ball. You need to get control. So it's if he muffed it, he had his hands on the ball, but he didn't actually have control of that ball. So firstly, is he needs to get control. Yeah. And then he needs to have time long enough to perform an act common to the game or time uh, generally. Now, that's where I think this one probably fell into the replay process, which was he never had it long enough to establish that he really had control. And if you say, well, that's what was determined on the field, have we got anything clear and obvious to overturn that? No, probably haven't. And I can see, therefore, why the, the, it would have stood as called. Now, if, if we look yeah. at it the other way around, we say, okay, we want referees to be a bit more tight on these because we don't want that sort of situation. Then potentially the next time he rules him down and we find out that he wasn't touched when he was on the ground, didn't have control of the ball. The ball came loose, the Eagles recovered, they run down the field for a touchdown and we then have to say, well, I'm sorry, but you can't have that. We need to come back to the, whether the ball was ruled on the field. Yeah. We can give you the fact that you've got the ball because we can see that that was clearly there, but we can't give you what happened after that because the referee blew the whistle. So it's a dual-edged sword, and it's a fine balance between the two. No, I completely agree, Roger. And I know the Bucks have been in a situation before where we could have got the touchdown, but because the ref the play was ruled dead by the whistle, it's cost us. So you're absolutely right. It's that fine line of just trying to do what you can to keep the you know the play going as much as possible, and then seeing afterwards whether there's yeah, anything is, clear it, and obvious to... A fine line to draw, unfortunately. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you'll get that wrong either direction, but, you know, we have to sort of do the best as we can to officiate the call on the field rather than try and play to the system of replay. And that's a, a difficult one when you get so many people complaining that we should let it play out. Exactly. But the next game we're going to talk about is between the uh, Las Vegas Raiders and the Cleveland Browns. Now, Funny enough, for a, for a game that was very low scoring, all the um, controversy is, <laughs> is surrounding touchdowns. So um, it's it's a bit of a strange one. But we've got three separate instances in this particular game. So we'll go through them one by one and dissect them. So one, the first one was uh, a Raiders touchdown. Um, it was ruled 
incomplete by the officials. Um, Raiders feel that his feet are in bounds, uh, the number 11s, and yep. they challenge it. So, what were your thoughts on this particular one? I mean, you can sort of go through what yeah. the so, end decision was. My initial uh, view on it was it looked like it should be a touchdown. Um, it looked like he got his second foot in down, mm. inbounds and he didn't touch out of bounds. It was very, very close. I mean, we're talking about blades of artificial grass close. You know, was the grass between his foot and the out of bounds spot or not? Now, remember, the ruling on the field was that he wasn't inbounds. His foot hit the sideline. Now, there is, uh, in this example, one of the short wing officials is looking specifically directly down that line. That's his role at this play. And the other guy is looking to see whether he actually caught the ball. Um, so that he, the person who's ruling whether he caught it looks round at the official who's looking down the line to check that he's got him in or out. And he says, no, he was out. Um, and therefore, that was what was ruled on the field. Um, so then yeah. we go to replay as, because it's a challenge um, by the Raiders. And then what they've got to determine is, was there sufficient clear and obvious evidence to overrule that call on the field? Go back to it every week, but it's the same standard that's been ruled, and they're fairly consistent on this. Was it clear and obvious that he didn't touch the out-of-bounds line? Well, no, it wasn't. It looked like he should get a touchdown, but it wasn't clear and obvious that there was good green space uh, at the end of his foot. Therefore, you know, yeah. that is what's going to be called and uh, replay quite rightly said, no, go with the call on the field. Yeah, but definitely from a Raiders perspective, oh, yeah. I think you're right I to agree. put that challenge in because you just, you just don't know, do you? So for those who obviously criticise the decision by Gruden, I mean, I think, personally, I thought Ruggs was in, but I can completely understand. There's You can't 100% hand and heart say, yeah, I thought that was definitely the whole, you, you know, yeah. it was all grass, you know, we, we can't say that. So, yeah, you got to go with the original call in that instance. But um, the second incident we've got is uh, a touchdown by Jarvis Landry. So this one, um, when the, the, the on-call was given a touchdown, um, on the replay, they showed the ball had bobbled a little bit. So John Gruden once again gets his flag out. And challenges this. What was the decision, and yeah. was it? I, the right, I don't what, think it was Gruden that challenged this one um, because I think it was ruled that oh. he didn't have it. No, no, you're right. I think it actually was ruled a touchdown, wasn't it? And then overturned. So it actually this wouldn't have yeah, been it was ruled a touchdown. Um, yeah. Wouldn't have been a, a, a coach's challenge um, because it was a touchdown. All touchdown yeah, scores touchdown. are uh, yeah. automatically reviewed. Yeah. Um, so what we had is usual thing: a receiver going to the ground in process of catching the ball needs to survive the ground. Slightly bobbles the ball when he's going into the end zone. But as he goes to the ground, he does look like he gains control of the ball, clearly. But as he's falling towards the ground further, it looks like he drops the ball. Um, and there were three or four different replays of this. And three of them, it was either inconclusive or, or really you couldn't see enough to decide did he drop it or not? But there was one particular angle. The cameraman was looking directly at it uh, on the sideline. And you can see clearly that as he's going to the ground, the ball suddenly drops quicker than he does. And um, therefore, you can see that he then bounces back off the turf. And so quite rightly, was turned around in replay um, because it was clear that the ball actually hit the deck without actually being in control. And that's the 
important differentiator. And then we'll talk about later why another one later in that game didn't get overturned. Yeah, so that other one is the uh, Hunter Renfro catch in the fourth quarter. Now, this one, I'll be honest, I still don't know what what, what the right decision is because the camera angles for me yeah. just weren't. Yeah, there's not a, there's not a lot to see. What you can see, and this is the way. this yeah. is the interesting rule question, because many people assume that the ground can't be involved in the catch process. So you know, you have to keep your hands underneath it, type thing, or you just have to keep it off the ground. Not strictly speaking, true. Although you'll see players obviously try and do that. And the reason why they try and do that is to remove the element of doubt that the ground helped the catch. So in this example. Right. He's going to the ground as part of the touchdown process and the ball moves, but it moves because it's under control of his hands and it touches the ground. He doesn't lose that control, even though the ground is involved. And that's the important differentiator here right. is that, yes, the ground was involved and the ball did move, but he wasn't losing control of that ball. Or at least, as you say, from the replays, there wasn't something to say that he did. And the ruling on the field was that it was a touchdown. And therefore, unless there's significant evidence to say that he didn't, then the ruling on the field will stand, which it did. That's fair enough. As I say, that's a lot of incidents. Yeah, and, and you can understand, unfortunately, uh, you know, if um, you're, I think it was the Raiders had most of the things that went against them. You think, well, you know, the refs against the Raiders, but... Yeah, break those individual plays down rather than look at the body and say, you know, we were we screwed over by the referees. Each of them individually looked at. You can say, well, you know, that that call was reasonable. Yes, most definitely. Um, the next uh, incident we're going to talk about. So this is coming. Um, I mean, we're going to mention this one on the show anyway. But um, a good friend of mine, Ryan Slaughter, who's a Titans fan, wanted this one uh, looking at. So. This was the hit on uh, former Bucks wide receiver and now Tennessee Titans wide receiver Adam Humphreys. So um, it, it was a massive hit on Adam Humphreys. But was the player, in your eyes, sort of in a position where he was sort of defenseless? And was the hit any grounds for the player potentially being ejected? And was was it? Yeah. Yeah, sort of a nasty it, it hit, was a nasty hit of, in terms of the consequences the of the hit because um, the player Humphreys actually ended up yeah. going out in the game on a card. Um, so from that point of view, it was a nasty hit. Was it the type of hit that you'd see a disqualification? The answer was no. Um, it's an unfortunate circumstance hit rather than anything else. The player is defenceless because he is in the process of right. catching. And as a result, you can't hit him in the head and neck area. And that's exactly what happened. But it wasn't a malicious aiming at his head and neck area. This was two players um, yeah. going in to tackle the player at the same time. And it just so happened that one of them lowers his head at the same time as the, the receiver did and catches him with his um, shoulder into the head and neck area. So, yes, it's a foul. It should have been called, and it wasn't called on the field. Um, and unlike college, um, where college can sort of call targeting uh, if it's um, seen on replay, the the equivalent type of play in the NFL, and this would be one either use of helmet or unnecessary roughness on a defensive player, um, can't be instigated by replay. And there, 
I think as um, more emphasis is on the safety of players for head and neck injuries, concussion, etc., then I think that one could get added later on into replay uh, consideration. But currently, as it stands, if it wasn't called on the field, there's no ability to add it later. The league, however, uh, do have an ability to find players um, later on if they believe that there was conduct that um, was something that should have been flagged on the field. But um, unfortunately, replay doesn't have the ability to add that flag on. So unfortunately, it's a double wabby because the receiver, as a result of that hit, dropped the ball. So he didn't didn't get the actual um, catch process and, and he didn't get the extra 15 yards. So uh, dual whammy for them. So unfortunate for them. So yes, it should have been called and wasn't. Well, that's fair enough. And thank you for Ryan for uh, giving us um, that particular incident. Uh, obviously a very unfortunate one and we wish Anna Humphreys all the best in his yeah. uh, recovery because it, it certainly did look nasty. Um, the the next <laughs> game we're going to talk about, so many games, gosh. So this is going back to the Bears and the Saints game. So this is one that I literally so gave Roger five minutes before we actually went on air. So I'm going to give Roger the benefit of the doubt if, for example, there's he's not certain about this, but it was um, basically the last... I think it was the last couple of minutes uh, in the fourth quarter. So uh, the Bears are three points down uh, to the Saints. Um, they're, they're on offense. Uh, the ball's with Cole Komet. Now the ball comes out of his hands and it's recovered by the Saints. Um, the officials... It looks like they initially rule it that the say it's Saints ball, but what okay. ends up happening? So what we have here that? is a classic example of forward progress. So let's talk about forward progress, when it yeah. should be called, when it shouldn't be called, what determines it. So the principle of forward progress is that the offensive player um, often is surrounded by a, a host of defenders at one stage and is driven back from wherever they got to. And the principle of forward progress is the point at which he got to before he was suddenly picked up and thrown in the other direction is the point at which they're actually given the ball. So they've gained that yardage. doesn't matter if they then subsequently lose that yardage because of 10 defenders pushing him in the other direction. That's the point at which forward progress is ruled. So then we get into the philosophical elements of forward progress. When should forward progress be ruled and when shouldn't it? It's a judgment call. So let's take a couple of different scenarios. So typically, if you have one player against one player, then you won't generally call forward progress on the initial hit, so the point at which the player um, suddenly is, is, is stopped his progress. Because at that point, he has a chance to spin out, to get away, to drive forward um, and gain more yardage. And vice versa has the ability to go backwards. Um, generally, forward progress would be more likely to be called when you've got two or three defenders now um, against that one def uh, uh, offensive player, and he is no longer in control of the direction he's going. So going back to one-on-one -on -one situations, this was a one-on-one -on -one situation, which is why it's, it's pertinent, is the player was initially hit at the 34-yard line. He was driven back to the 31-yard line before he lost the ball. So 
if it'd been just in the first yard when he was driven back, when he still got the chance to actually drive forward again, I could have seen the argument to say, well, really, that should have been let go. And, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, it doesn't really matter. But we, we have a player clearly being driven back three yards, not in control of where he's going, before the ball is then subsequently lost. So it's not unreasonable in that circumstance to say, yes, right. his forward progress had been stopped. He was no longer under control. He's not fighting to gain more yards. He's clearly going backwards, not getting anywhere. And therefore, it's right to say that should be ruled as forward progress at the 34-yard line. Um, the interesting thing from, from my point of view, looking at the officials, the official who's nearest to it, who's responsible for forward progress, he doesn't signal at that point and stay on the line at which he's got driven to and it's signaled that the play is over. He instead throws his beanbag down, um, which normally is an indication that there is a fumble and that fumble, um, the beanbag is marking the end of the run and that could be a potential penalty enforcement spot. So yeah. he's obviously in his mind at the stage thinking that's a potential fumble. It looks like he then reconsiders it and looks at the, the yardage lost before the ball came out and goes, well, if he lost three yards, that actually is no longer under his control. Really, we should be saying that this was already over at the 34-yard line. And the fact that the fumble happened at the 31-yard line, it's immaterial. That play should have been ruled dead. So I think they correctly um, thought about it afterwards and thought, well, no, actually we should give him the point he got to. He was not under his own control when he was being driven back. Therefore, the ball coming loose at 31, the play is already over at yeah. 34. So that, it didn't happen. That's fair enough. And that's a, a very good example of, you know, when a player is not in a position to be able to, you know, he's been pushed backwards, the play at that point then is ruled dead in that instance. So, yeah, if anything that happens afterwards is really doesn't, really bear any sort of significance really but yes obviously Saints fans would be a bit upset about that but at the end of the day they've, they've got they've got the win still uh but obviously at the time uh that field goal resulted in uh it going into overtime so if the Bears had won that I'm sure a number of Saints fans may have been complaining but like you said the, when you break that down um, yeah I think clear so and obvious that the right call was made at the end yeah exactly now this one um I'm looking forward to this one because with all the instances that we talk about, me and Roger, this is the first we talk about it. So it's not as if we have a pre-planned uh, session where we say, okay, Roger, what's your thoughts on this? This is my thoughts. So I'm going to be very interested in knowing what your opinion on this one Monday is. Night so football. This is uh, Bucks versus the Giants from last night's Monday Night Football game. I was uh, wide awake watching this, uh, absolutely exhausted today uh, from it, but you know, I might might even have a bit of a nap, you know, after after we've done with this. But um, so the books are 25, 23 up. Uh, the uh, Giants have just scored a touchdown uh, through Golden Tate's 14-yard touchdown pass. So the Giants naturally, with only 20-some seconds to go of the game, decide to go for the two-point conversion. Um, Daniel Jones makes a play. Uh, we can see throws to his receiver, Antoine Winfield, is sort of running towards uh, the ball and the um, the receiver. And the ball hits his arm, but also he makes contact with the receiver 
and a flag is thrown by the official. Um, at that point, it looks as if they're going to give the call as a pass interference call, therefore giving the Giants advantage. However, on a rare occasion, well, I've not seen it happen too many times, but I know it, it obviously has started to happen a lot more now. Yep. They take the flag away. So I think that's what is causing a lot of Giants fans to be upset this morning because they're saying, well, at the end of the day, okay, whatever the decision is, they've called it on the field initially as being pass interference, but yet now they've taken the flag away. So, Okay, so well, let's, let's talk about flag pick up for a one, second Roger? before we actually get into the controversy of whether or not this was or wasn't a sure. foul. So we've talked in the past, and... And we have the advantage when we're actually looking at these games is that we have usually multiple angles to look at the play. We have, especially on a Monday night football, there'll be more cameras than you would have on a a regular game. And some of those cameras will be in angles that we wouldn't normally have on a replay. But we have the advantage of replay and we can look at it from multiple views and go, oh, that didn't look clear from that angle. But then you see it from a different angle. You go, oh, yeah, I can see why that was called. Um, and this is a prime example of where you have, um, I, I think, two viewpoints on the play, which is um, it's, it's a two-point attempt. So it's, yeah. it's going from very close to the um, uh, goal line. Um, and what you have is, I believe a bang-bang play. And that's what we call plays where the contact happens at almost identical to the ball arriving. Now, if you remember the famous um, championship game the other day with the, or the other year, with the Saints and the Rams, and we had what started um, for pass interference being reviewable the following year, we had a clear contact that happened before the ball got there. Um, And that's why people say, well, you know, that's, should have been pass interference. What we have in this particular example is contact that happened at the time the ball arrives at the player. So bang, bang, and bang, bang plays. If you slow it down in video, fractionally a frame or two, you can see that the player is actually made contact with the defender, with the receiver fractionally before the ball arrives. But in real time, this is happening almost instantaneously. We, we're just, we have the advantage of the um, slow motion replay to actually help determine the timing of that contact. But in terms of real time action, this is a bang bang play, no interference in my view. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I, I don't know your view, so how do you feel about it? I'm, I'm guessing I, I, you, you I feel that there should have been agree. something there. No. No, I I actually agree that, and, and everyone knows me, like who've listened to me on the podcast. I'm not I'm not a biased person when it comes to my team. I genuinely will call a play how I see it. The the way I looked at it, Anton Winfield was initially. You can see he's looking at the ball at one point. His arm hits the ball first, and then he's sort of making contact with the player. So in my opinion, regardless of whether he's had that contact with the player, the ball is nowhere near going to be reaching that receiver no matter what happens. It hits Winfield's arm and therefore, in my opinion, he's made the play before. He's been a step quicker than the receiver 
or should I say the, the ball was underthrown by Daniel yeah, uh, Jones? Yeah, Jones, Jones put it in a really bad position uh, in terms of know, the ability for the receiver. Uh, he should have put it near the goalpost um, because yeah. or pylon um, post and uh, not goalpost. Sorry. Um, so that would have given the the receiver every opportunity to get the ball without the other player getting in the way. So it's slightly underthrown. Jones didn't have a good game. I mean, mm. <laughs> that's an understatement, I think. But yeah, so you know, he had a chance to 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 tie the game up, no. but he just put the ball in a very bad position. And you are right. I have just slowed that down frame by frame and it does hit his arm fractionally before he hits the player. And that in, in um, uh, rule speak uh, would actually take out any possibility of a, a, a defensive pass interference anyway, because once um, the, the t- pass has been touched, then yeah. defensive pass interference goes away. It's not a callable foul. So, yes, in slow motion, I can say completely you're right that he does get to the ball because accidentally it hits his arm rather than he hits the ball. just happens to be he's just about to t- tackle the um, yeah. the receiver, but the ball actually gets to his arm before it gets to the receiver because of where it was thrown. So, yes, it wouldn't be uh, defensive pass interference because of that anyway. But even if the contact was fractionally yeah. the other way around, it is a bang-bang play, and bang-bang um, players were told not to call. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, no, I appreciate that one, Roger. I mean, it's one of them. I know it's going to sound a bit sad, but you know, when you go on social, you make the mistake going when you're supposed to be going to bed straight after the game finishes, and then you see a number of the when I'm supposed to be going to bed, and I see all these comments, and it was hard for me to actually sleep because my mind's literally just thinking on that play, and part of me's thinking, am I being biased or am I? It was one of them where I was like, "No, I, I'm, I'm honestly seeing it this way." Even taking the taking out me being a Bucks fan, you know. But sometimes you just don't yeah, know because you just think maybe case, most, I am most fans do look in. with rose-tinted glasses, unfortunately, and uh, they're looking yeah. to anything to absolve their team of the reason why they lost. Um, so yeah, and unfortunately, social media, uh, the, the defeated yeah. fans will nearly always think the refs are against them. Unfortunately. Yeah, and obviously another interesting aspect, uh, and I don't know whether you could shed some light on this. I don't think anyone knows the answer, but I was uh, listening to Good Morning Football literally just before we went on, and they were, I don't know if they're having a bit of a joke about it, but they were saying, oh, the the information has clearly got to New York, and New York have told them, <laughs> you know. No, no, no. The this, will be, this will be two that, officials, and they, they did huddle up. Um, if you look on the replay, they do huddle up to have a discussion about this play. Yeah. Um, and, and it will be two different people seeing things from a different angle. Yeah. The timing of it, depending on who's throwing the flag, might see it from one angle and be straight line to it. Whereas another person can see that there is still space between them when the, the ball is touched. And I, I can't remember who the calling official was that actually threw the flag. I think it was a guy at the back um, behind the play on the, the end line through the flag. And I suspect the guy that was on the goal line said that the ball touched his arm before he got there and therefore it should be called off because there was no pass interference once the ball has been touched. I suspect that's what happened. I didn't, I'm going to just quickly watch it, see if I can see where the flag comes in from. You give me one second. I will probably answer that question. Yeah, the flag came from behind, and I suspect no the uh, the short wing. Yeah, he's going to talk to him straight away, um, sharing the information that he has um, 
to say he didn't think it should be called because of the actual ball contact, I suspect. But yes, it was the deep person who couldn't see that ball and the timing of the, the contact by the defender. So that, I think correctly, the official got together and talked about it and decided that it was that it shouldn't be called. That's fair enough. And just once and for all as well, Roger, if you want to answer this question, does Tom Brady <laughs> no. have a say in what happens with these officiating calls? <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, does that mean to say that an experienced Roger. player doesn't try and influence <laughs> the officials? Absolutely happens. And and you'll it, we actually get a, the, one of the advantages of COVID is we can hear more of what goes on on the field than we normally can because of crowd noise. And you can hear the players that they're yeah. making their case. That was holding, you know, or whatever, you know, and they're shouting in the referee's ear. The referee's not listening particularly. Yeah. They will hear it, but they're making their own judgment. And they know that, you know, glass tinted again. Yeah. They will see it one way when they're on the sideline towards their team. Now, sometimes they'll be right and yeah. sometimes the ref will miss it. But more than often than yeah. not, the referee is looking at it independently of whatever is happening in the ear. Um, and does Tom Brady know the rules? Yes, he does. So, you know, he will know, for example, that you know, people have complained it and said, well, he's telling the referee that he needs more time on the clock and the referee's granting it. That is because the, the rule says if the ball isn't spotted by a certain time, they're entitled to more time. So he knows the rule and he's saying, well, you know, you've got to give me this because you haven't got the ball down in time. And the referee quite rightly grants that extra time. It's not him asking yeah. for some favour. It is because that's what the rule says. And he knows that's what the rule says. So he actually then will go, look, I haven't got the time. You haven't got it down. Pump the clock. And quite rightly, the referee responds. Yeah, there you have it. A smart play there, but... Also, Tom Brady was no, he was with the referees at that particular point as well. So, so please, please remember that. Yeah, there was there was one uh, incident in I think it was the third quarter when they were I think they were calling a penalty. I can't remember if it was against the Bucks or the Giants, but you know when they show the small screen of the officials talking, and you can see with Tom Brady and Mike Evans. So Tom Brady's got his hands on his hips. He can't be within a few centimetres away from the officials. And I was like, I, I can just see fans just getting infuriated by this. He didn't look like he was saying much, but at the same time, you know, uh, I can imagine <laughs> fans just being a bit like, oh, here he goes again. But there you have it, folks. This has come from our own official Zebra uh, in, in terms of this particular incident. It was so I'm glad such that a great was week. Up. And we're nearly but, halfway through wow, the season. What an so, uh, week. I mean, it's flown by. Yeah. Yeah, it has certainly flown by. But no, this has been a, an amazing podcast. Um, and, you know, hopefully, um, you know, there's there's more... Inst well, <laughs> no, I mean... Maybe I hope for different ones, hope so I can uh, explain some different but, scenarios. You know, hope for different ones. Exactly. But no, we've had some good ones. I mean, I know with the forward progress, you know, sort of going through that again, it, it just refreshes people's memories, doesn't it? So... Now, I've got it all fixed in my head, but those of people who may have only got into the podcast in the last two or three weeks, they may have missed out yeah, on some of those. And we'll have the calls, links so to the, to the plays that we've well, discussed in the description as well, so people can look at them again and, and maybe listen in at the same time as looking at the play and going, oh, okay, that's what he means. Yeah. 
Yeah, most definitely. Well, we'll certainly uh, get that done for our listeners there. But thank you once again, Roger. It's much appreciated and hope all goes well tomorrow. And for any listeners out there in the United States, you know, um, big day for you guys today. Um, not going to go into all that, but just yeah, uh, just go and vote. Know, wishing you and your country all the best with whatever happens. Just go and vote. No, That's all it, good. Exactly. I'm just um, just praying that everything uh, goes all right else, tomorrow Roger? for my move. So. Exactly. Hopefully. Well, best of luck for that, Roger, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Cheers. Yeah, we will. <laughs>